Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the Contender Cast for shining a light on bright ideas. Today, I actually have one of my favorite guests back with me on the podcast for part two, like only a year and a half later. <laughs> Robbie <laughs> Kilman Baxter is back on the Contender Cast. Robbie, it is so great to have you back on the show. Yeah, well, thanks for having me back. This is so great. Uh, you know, the last time we got together, uh, for those that maybe do not remember Robbie or haven't listened to the episode, you'd have to go all the way back in the archives to like late 2018. She was on in October that year. We're talking about the membership economy. Um, this is like an area that she is an expert on. So if you're in the consumer goods world, the retail world, if you're in the brand space and, and thinking about consumers, you're going to love this conversation. Um, I would though push pause and go listen to that one and then come back to today's. But um, let me introduce Robbie. So Robbie, you, you've known this space for a while. You, you've written some great content in the space. Today, we're going to dive into your new book, The Forever Transaction, in a few minutes. But before we get there, how about share with our audience how you got into this space and like a little bit about your background? Sure. So um, this goes all the way back to uh, around uh, 2002. Um, I'd been consulting independently for about two years and was kind of thinking in the back of my head, I need to have an area of focus. Um, because if you want to be an independent consultant, uh, you know, and you want to grow and you want to be successful, you really need to have some area where you're a subject matter expert or a process expert or what have you. So I'm thinking, what, what can I do? And then a friend of mine asked me to come and consult with her company, which was Netflix. And <laughs> no small brand. At the time, well, at the time, it was a small brand and people didn't, you know, not everybody understood it. Um, just to take you back, uh, 2002, Netflix was really strong on the East Coast and the West Coast of the United States. Um, not that well known in the middle of the United States, not that well known by people who wouldn't call themselves tech savvy. Um, it was three DVDs out at a time. A lot of people found out about it through flyers that were inside the wow. box when they bought right. computers. So very, very different time. And they were just starting to have a national, to build out a national footprint. And uh, I was working with them as a consultant and I was helping out with uh, sort of a backlog of customer acquisition ideas. And when I started working with them, I fell in love with the business model. And I was already like a very loyal <laughs> Netflix subscriber. I had, um, I had a baby, I had a toddler, I was pregnant. I was up every single night. Like I never wanted to run out of professionally created video content and I did not want late fees. So they were perfect for me. Um, and then when I started consulting with them and I saw their focus on doing one thing really well, um, very simple pricing, uh, very clear message, no late fees, uh, you know, and the way that they really understood how their customer uh, came in, what they were expecting, what brought them in, what delighted them and retained them. And they were measuring engagement, retention, things I'd never really thought about before. Um, and I was like, this is an amazing business model. And people, you know, and so, so people started calling at the same time and they were saying, Hey, we heard you worked with Netflix or we're trying to be the Netflix of our industry. And we're wondering if you can help us. We're in, you know, software. We're in hardware. Uh, we're in news, we're in music, we're in professional services. And as I worked with these different organizations, 
I saw patterns and I saw, started to kind of build out frameworks and got better able to guess what problem a company had just by learning a little bit because I could see that whole picture. And, and then I said, you know, I'm going to focus on this and I'm going to see where it goes. This is, this is going to be the thing that I'm going to go really deep on because um, it's so interesting and nobody else was doing it. Well, and for those who don't know Robbie, I mean, just incredible person and and wealth of knowledge, background, undergrad, Harvard University, MBA from a small school called Stanford, yes, uh, and then uh, got into consulting with Booz Allen. I mean, you moved in, into a couple different roles, and but you also coined this phrase, the membership economy. And not to fast forward your background and story, but share with our audience what that is in case they didn't go back and listen to part one. Um, <laughs> but I mean, this phrase, I, you know, we, we hear it across the industry, especially in my world, you know, consumer products and, and retail. Um, but the membership economy is a big deal. Yeah, I, I think it really is. It's, it's this massive transformational trend where organizations are rethinking their business models. Um, they're moving away from ownership and towards access. They're moving away from the biggest possible one-time transaction that they can get, you know, the kind of, do you want fries with that? You want to supersize that to a model that's more about the long-term recurring revenue relationship, um, moving from uh, a single one-time to, uh, I said that, uh, strike that from a, from a, <laughs> and, um, and, and from a one-way communication to multi-directional communication, um, not just between the organization and the member, but among the members themselves. And when you, when you start to use those different levers, you build a very different kind of way of interacting with customers and one that optimizes, uh, for lifetime value. And, and at the heart of that is, the way the organization treats the person they're serving. And that's why I call it membership economy. Um, a subscription is a pricing decision, but membership is a mindset. It's the way you treat the organization. And it's ultimately way the, the members start to feel about the organization. Got it. Yeah. And I, I actually, when we first met, and that was one of the phrases uh, that really stood out to me. And what was interesting is when you reached out a couple of weeks ago and said, Hey, second book coming out and it's called the forever transaction. I was like, Oh my God, that's perfect. Um, let's talk about this book. And I think it'll link nicely to your background story, of course. So the forever transaction, how to build a subscription model. So compelling your customers will never want to leave. Talk about the the method here. What I think is cool about this book is you provide somewhat of a step-by-step, but one of the biggest ideas of the whole book, I think, is how you you coach companies to take off the consumer hat and put on the member hat. So talk about the big idea with this book and, and how this came together. Yeah. Yeah. So a forever transaction is that moment when your customer stops looking for alternatives ah, got and it. says, you're going, you know, this is how I'm going to solve this problem. So for me with my little babies, it was me saying, okay, this Netflix thing, this is how I'm going to get content right now. I'm not going to try to find it on the TV. I'm not going to turn on the, you know, the cable. Um, and I'm not going to go to Blockbuster, which is a nightmare. <laughs> right. This is how I solve the problem. And I'm not going to look for alternatives anymore. I'm, and, and, and over the years, as other alternatives arose, you know, other ways of accessing professionally created co uh, content, I didn't really look at them because 
that problem had been solved for me. Netflix continued to have enough selection and variety and be easy enough to use that I didn't need it. And that's really what I'm trying to encourage organizations to focus on is if you can get to that moment where your customer says, whatever they tell me to do, whatever they recommend, that's, I know that they're going to take care of me. I know they're continually evolving to take care of my needs. And it might be how you feel about your gym where 15 years ago, you might've been doing, you know, I don't know, jazzercise or boot camp. Step. And today, <laughs> right, or step, step aerobics. And now you're doing the, the TRX bands or, um, you know, you're doing some uh, hit, right? Hit, Tabata. Um, oh, and you Tabata. Know, like, it's like all the Peloton <laughs> workouts now. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. We can talk about Peloton. Yeah, I mean, that's know, a subscription get, model. That's a, anyway, yeah, we'll get I'll there get in a minute. I'll get my glazed over. Yeah, your yep. glazed donut look. That's right. And then you got to do the child pose at the end. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> they have little phrases. Sorry, total digression. Yeah, oh, so good, so good. <laughs> Subscription is is just everywhere. Uh, but yeah, but it, the idea for for people listening is, what is it? What problem can you solve, or goal can you help your customers achieve that's going to go on forever? And how can you, on your side, focus on delivering on that promise? And communicating that to your customers in such a way that they stop looking for alternatives. So talk about the customer for this book. You know, Who's your target audience um, that would be reading this? And then what I want to do is dive into some of the elements of creating this type of model or, and culture within a company. Yeah, this book is really for any entrepreneur or intrapreneur who is thinking about how to incorporate this kind of business model um, into their current organization. So it's divided into three parts. The first part is for people just starting out. So this could be a solopreneur who is kind of clean sheeting a new business and saying, I want this to be about the long-term relationship. Um, it could be for an entrepreneur doing the same thing who's been told, you know, hey, this is a big consumer products company and you're in charge of innovation and we want to figure out if there's anything here we can do with subscription boxes or uh, some kind of a subscribe and save type of model or some kind of a premium membership where people join and then get special benefits when they shop with us. Uh, or this might be if you have, you know, so that's kind of the first phase. Second phase is for people scaling, which is we've tried something, it's working, and now we either want to bring it to the core of what we do instead of being like a little side business that we're testing, or we want to kind of blow off the doors, get funding, build an infrastructure, build the technology, create metrics, hire a team, build a culture. And then the last phase, the last part of the book is for the third phase, which is for mature subscription and membership businesses to try to guide them on how to stay relevant. So this, right, this is like the associations, the newspapers, the gyms, the kind of old school content companies where they've been doing it a certain way. And they do have ongoing relationships with their customers, but they might not be direct uh, and they might be done in an old fashioned way where there's disruptors coming in with a new option. So this is really about how do you not rest on your laurels and confuse inertia with loyalty? Sure. Wow. Now, and one of the things you talk about is revamping the culture so that everyone is thinking around how to optimize customer lifetime value. And how is that a shift for some companies, you know, versus kind of their the legacy, how they've always done business? 
Yeah. So let's say that you're uh, a, a big consumer products company. Um, let's say that you sell razors, <laughs> hypothetically speaking. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, that's and you're I, that's based in Cincinnati. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you could be based anywhere. Yeah. Um, and let's say uh, that you notice that there are some entrepreneurs who are now going direct, selling beautifully boxed, very inexpensive razors and soap and shaving you know, shaving cream and other, you know, health and beauty products and sending them direct to consumer. And like you want to get Dollar Shave Club. Like the Dollar Shave Club, like Harry's, sure, or, Harry's you know, exactly. any number. Yep. Now, if you're a big successful CPG company, um, you might think that all you need to do is, you know, send it direct to the consumer and have a website that says, hey, we now have a subscription. We'll replenish your your products when you run out. But what they may not realize is all the implications. So how do you handle returns in very small quantities? How do you handle direct customer service? Um, how do you package it in a way that feels personal when you're used to sell to shipping stuff on a pallet or, you know, in right. big boxes yep, for pallet? To big box stores, sure. Yeah. And so each you can start to see how each step becomes a little different. How do you manage potential channel conflict? Right. When that customer used to buy your razors at the drugstore and now they're buying them from you, how does that drugstore chain feel about their partnership with your big company? So all of those things you kind of really need to think about, like there's a difference in, in every part of the process. And then there's a difference in the metrics that you use. So instead of measuring just volume sold each month, you're actually looking at the unit economics, what's happening with each individual person and how does that vary based on, you know, where you acquired them, uh, when you acquired them, what they did first, what they bought first, because you're really trying to optimize for that individual lifetime value. Sure. Yeah. And do you see this large shift happening in consumer products or is this something that you know only the leaders are jumping into versus the laggards what are you seeing as far as trends so i think with consumer products and with retailers we're still on the front end of this i don't think it's quite mainstream yet but it's not just based on size of organization so there are some very large companies that are dipping their toe in so for example unilever acquired dollar shave club uh, a couple of years ago uh nestle has uh uh, proactive. Um, so there are some, you know, there are some, a lot of acquisitions going on. A lot of the supermarkets have acquired meal kit companies, same idea, kind of trying to e experiment with, with incorporating subscription. A lot of the CPG companies have experimented with uh, subscription boxes, with replenishment models that are direct. Uh, but I don't think it depends on size. Um, and, and like I said, this is like every, anybody in the media business, whether you're newspaper, uh, audio content, uh, or video content, you're probably already doing subscription by this point. But I think only some retailers have a premium loyalty programs. So moving beyond the points-based kind of, uh, of, of loyalty programs and you know, that are really doing a good job with some kind of a subscription. So that's still nascent. I think Restoration Hardware has something, CDS has something. There, there is some experimentation, but it's, it's not everywhere. Target has a beauty box. I mean, everybody's experimenting, but it's not mainstream defined. The winners and losers sure. aren't 
aren't That's there interesting. yet. Uh, a lot to be vetted. You know, it, what are some of the best practices you've seen uh, or you've coached companies on like not only the setup, okay, we got that part, but once you have someone that's a quote unquote member or kind of lock or interested, right? And they're engaged in a subscription type model. What are some of the best practices you've seen around like retention and around community engagement and whatnot? Yeah. So if, if you, if you're optimizing for retention, um, you want to start with your acquisition and make sure that you're acquiring the people that are going to stay a long time. So if I'm just trying, right? I mean, it sounds, it sounds so, basic, so, but <laughs> it sounds basic, but there's a lot of people who might come in, but they're only interested. They only have a short term need and then they're planning to leave anyway. So for example, if, if a gym has a two week free trial or a month long free trial and I'm on vacation in that city, it can be very tempting for me to sign up for the trial and maybe pay the first month and then leave. So you don't want to optimize to make that easy for me. You want to optimize for somebody who, let's say, lives in that market and is likely to stay at, stay for a long time. Uh, so understanding who your customer is and what that value proposition is for the lifetime, that's really important before you even start. So, um, you know, ha- having the right customers upfront uh, is a really good, you know, you don't want them to come in for one benefit and do what I call a smash and grab where they come and pay for one month, get the value that they needed and then, you know, hightail it out of there. Right. And then once they're in, you want to onboard them so that they understand the value. They get value right away, but also you show them how your best customers get the most value. So for example, um, like I said, restoration hardware has a membership where you pay a fee up front. I think it's like a hundred dollars. Uh, but if you're planning to remodel your or to redecorate even one room in your house and you like their style, you're stupid if you don't get the membership because you get a big discount on everything in the store. Plus, you get designer help. Plus, you get, you know, all the little swatches for no, you know, for free. So it's almost a no brainer. So if you signed up for that, the the onboarding should advise you, number one that you're going to get this big discount. So any big purchases you want to make, you know, now you're getting 30% off and also making sure that you use the designer and the swatches because that, that you don't have to pay anymore. And that's going to give you a feeling of more value and it's optimized for people who are doing major projects. Now, if I sign up because I need to buy a couch and I want the 30% discount, which is more than a hundred dollars, uh, if I don't know that those other benefits exist, I might not use it again. But if I bring the decorator in, the decorator might give me a bunch of ideas and I might spend more money, but also really feel like I'm getting more value. So that's what you really want to optimize for. You want people to understand the value they're paying for and use it. Um, one of the issues, for example, like let's say a company like ClassPass, Jim's on the brain, right? But sure. that's a, you know, that's a membership <laughs> that allows you to try different, uh, fitness classes in At your different area. locations. Yep. Different, different locations, different brands. So, you know, you can do a Pilates class this week and a CrossFit class next week and a, you know, hit class the week after or whatever. Um, but I was talking to this woman and she said, that's my favorite membership. And then almost in the same breath, she said, but I never use it because I always forget about it. <laughs> and then she said, which makes me feel so bad because it's such a good deal. And then she said, I should probably cancel. <laughs> and then she said, but it's not, it's not their fault. Cause it's such a good, it's such a good membership. Right. So That's my funny. advice to class pass would be 
make sure people are using what they're paying for. Right. Because if people aren't using what they're paying for, even though in the short term, you know, the company maybe is saving money. Cancel. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of that going on right now, even with like online, you know, different channels you can subscribe to. Uh, the gym memberships we talked about Peloton earlier. Just it's interesting that you talk about the membership economy. And it is well beyond just consumer goods and retail. Um, talk about where our listeners can find you. I mean, you do so much uh, speaking and um, in, and leading around this space. How can they engage with you? Where can they find the new book um, and whatnot? They can find. I'm I'm really easy to find. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I am not hiding. Uh, my my phone number, my email address are all over the internet. Um, but you can, you know, if you want, if you want useful content, uh, there's a lot on LinkedIn. Uh, yep, there's absolutely. a lot on on my website, RobbieKelmanBaxter.com. Those are probably the best places. I'm reasonably active on Twitter as well, so you can find me there. Uh, and uh, and you can find in your bookstore, absolutely, uh, your your independent bookstore or Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you like to browse and buy books yeah this is awesome and i mean so relevant and um as we've talked about in the past just so applicable to not only the industries i happen to work in but just across it's becoming more and more prevalent so robbie it's so great having you back on thanks for making the time and i'm excited about the new book and um hey maybe we'll make it a third visit in the next 12 months or so that'd be great (laughs) i'd love it (laughs) it's always fun to talk to you justin all right thanks The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.